My name is Stuart Albright. This is a podcast about the messes we make and the messes we endure as our parents get older. It's a story about illness and loss, but it's also a story about joy. An oxygen cord followed my mom everywhere she went. We got her an extra long cord so that she could walk the entire house, which worked fine as long as she didn't trip on the cord. This usually happened about once a week, and the cord was always getting tangled up and closing off her oxygen supply. We kept the oxygen condenser in the front room, where the 100-pound beast hummed and rattled so loud that we had to almost shout to talk over it. When my mom left the house, she took a heavy portable tank with her. It gave her about three hours of oxygen, long enough to check in at the shop or to go to the grocery store before the tank ran out of air. As she was off the oxygen for more than a few minutes, she started to get winded, and the lack of oxygen often made her confused and disoriented. My dad's primary job was to make sure she kept that cannula in her nose at all times. My mom soldiered on through the summer of 2019. She took chemo and felt good for a few days, then she began a vicious cycle of vomiting and diarrhea. I visited her on the weekends and tried to clean up the mess, but it was a losing battle. The house was covered in dust. My dad was exhausted, and everybody wondered how any of this was going to work out in the end. My parents' house was over 100 years old and needed some major work. There was mold on the bathroom ceiling. The AC unit was broken. A whole family of yellow jackets were living in mom's bedroom window, and from time to time she would step on them as she stumbled around at night. After a while, the side effects of my mom's chemo got to be so bad that her doctors decided to stop the treatments altogether. I began to dread the sound of my phone ringing. Friends constantly called to say that they were worried about my parents. One day my dad slipped and fell while he was carrying a tray of food. He spent the night in the ER, then he was sent back home. Blood from his cracked nose was splattered across the living room carpet. My mom started to get delirious from the drugs. She'd forget how to put her oxygen cannula in her nose, and I'd have to FaceTime her from school to walk her through the most basic tasks. As the new school year approached, I missed all of my work days so I could be down there to help them, cleaning vomit and feces off the floor, taking out the trash. So much trash. So many tasks that needed to get done, with both of my parents hanging on by a thread. School began, and I felt myself caught between two worlds, caring for my struggling parents and trying to take care of my family here in Durham. By some miracle, my family made it through September. Then one day during class, I got a text from my dad saying that mom was in the hospital, struggling to breathe. She held on for a few days, somehow fighting back death. They sent her to a rehab facility to get stronger until, eventually, they hoped to send her back home to the dust and the trash and a husband who could barely take care of himself. Then my dad had to go to the hospital. He also fought back death, and after a few days, he was sent to the same rehab facility as my mom. The rooms were down the hall from each other. Occasionally, a nurse would wheel them down to the physical therapy room at the same time, two very weak and very frail people who'd been through hell and back. They were about to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary, but neither of them had any energy to celebrate. As long as they were at the rehab facility, I knew that my parents were safe. I had no idea what they were going to do when they were discharged in a few days. How could they possibly survive in that dusty old house? How could they take care of each other 
when they could barely take care of themselves. This dilemma plays out in homes across America. As our parents get older, we have to make hard decisions about what to do with them. In previous generations, you usually just moved mom and dad into your house when they couldn't live on their own anymore. But these days, many of us move away from home when we become adults. For years, my brother lived in Chicago and then Boston. I happened to land in Durham, and fortunately, my brother and his family moved nearby to Cary. But neither of us had any desire to move back home to Gastonia, which was a three-hour drive away. So if you don't live in the same town as your parents, what are your options? The most comprehensive option is a Continuing Care Retirement Community, or CCRC for short. You put your name on a list, and when a spot opens up, you move into an apartment or a cottage. As your health declines, you move to a higher level of nursing care or hospice care. This is the one-stop shop option that guarantees continuous care no matter what happens to you for the rest of your life. But that peace of mind is incredibly expensive, with entry fees ranging anywhere from $70,000 to $300,000. Plus, you have to be able to walk into a CCRC on your own power, meaning that if you wait too late to join, you may be out of luck. Most retirees can't afford this option. The next option is independent senior living. Like the CCRCs, when you choose independent living, you get to have your own apartment. They provide meals and scheduled activities and transportation to doctor's appointments and other outings. You don't have the upfront costs of a CCRC, but you still have to pay a lot per month, anywhere between $3,000 and $4,000. There are no healthcare workers on site, and if you get too sick to live on your own, you either move out or you have to pay a small fortune for private aides to come into your apartment. All of this support goes away when you run out of money. Option number three is assisted living. You pay a little bit more than you would for independent senior living, usually $4,000 to $6,000 per month. And in return, you get access to nurses and nursing aides who will help you take your medications and check on you regularly. Instead of your own apartment, you usually live in a single room. Some assisted living facilities are good, but many of them are not. And just like the independent living option, you typically have to leave when you run out of money. So let's say you have no money saved and you can't take care of yourself. What are your options? Medicaid typically covers the cost of skilled nursing facilities. Like assisted living, they provide nursing support, but as you decline, they also provide the kind of end-of-life services you get with CCRCs, but in a much less comfortable environment. You often share a room with another resident, the staff is chronically underpaid and overworked, and many of the facilities look like they could use a facelift. So if you run out of money, skilled nursing is your primary option but it can be a depressing place to spend your final days. So what do most retirees do? They try not to think about it. They cross their fingers and hope that they've saved up enough money. They try to make it through their 70s without getting sick, and if they do get sick, they count on their spouse or another family member to take care of them. For many people, this option works out just fine. Death comes suddenly, tragically even, but it's much less messy this way. For most families, it's a lot more complicated. Kids move away from home. Advances in medicine allow us to live longer than ever before, but they also keep us alive even when our quality of life suffers. Poor health burdens some people and leaves other people unscathed. My parents fell into this murky middle ground. 
They had some money tied up in stocks, but not much. My dad owned a modest life insurance plan. They were lucky enough to have a house, although they could barely meet the mortgage payments with dad's monthly social security checks. Mom wasn't making much money from her shop because she was usually too sick to make it into work. At the moment, they could barely look after themselves, let alone each other. They didn't have enough money to move into one of the assisted living facilities, and they wouldn't qualify for Medicaid support because they owned a house. To the rest of our family, the answer was clear. They needed to sell the house. But the house was falling apart and would need a lot of repairs before they could put it on the market. And then what? They would take whatever money was left over after the mortgage was paid off and hope that between that money and the monthly Social Security checks, they could afford an assisted living facility. When that money ran out, they would either qualify for Medicaid and move into a skilled nursing home, or they would move into my house or my brother's house. So they had options, but none of them were really good options. And to complicate matters, my parents stubbornly refused to move out of their house. It kept leaking and collecting dust and sagging into disrepair, but they refused to leave. Now they were too sick to live on their own. Both of my parents were stuck in a rehab facility for the next 20 days, at which point Medicare would stop covering the cost and they'd have to move back home, whether they were able to take care of themselves or not. During this time, my life consisted of work, driving the three hours down I-85 to Gastonia on weekends to check on my parents, then worrying constantly, always, about what was going to happen next. You can hear just how tired they are in some of these voicemails. Hey, Steve Ball. Hey, Steve. It's your mom and dad and Annie Chess. We'll give us a report. Mom Take has care. Mom has chemograms. Mom's doing great. Bye. Take care. Bye. Hey, Steve. Everything's going fine. Just wanted to let you know I was at rehab when, I, when you called earlier. And then I've had another reset half since then. So I'm doing fine. Mom seems to be doing well, too, so we're all just plugging along. Appreciate it. Enjoy it on your visits. Take care. On the weekend before Halloween, I took Brett and Kason to see my parents. We met in a room at the front of the rehab facility. Dad rolled in on his wheelchair from one direction, and Mom rolled in in her wheelchair from the other direction with a tank strapped to the back of it. My parents looked much, much older than they really were. They were tired, but they were happy to see their grandkids. The boys ate chocolate and showed Nanny and Big Al their Halloween costumes, a werewolf and a ninja. And when Mom's oxygen tank was about to run out, we said our goodbyes. My brother Rob was going to check on them next weekend. Then my parents were going to move back into their house. Every time I thought about that, I felt sick to my stomach. Halloween came and went. The following weekend, while Rob was with our parents, I drove with my wife and kids to the mountains. On the way there, I talked to my mom on the phone. She sounded confused from all the medicine she was on. My dad just sounded tired. I talked to Rob on the phone as well. 
We agreed that mom and dad needed to sell their house. There was just no way around it. Rob volunteered to talk to dad about that when he got to Gastonia. On the way to, on the drive to Gastonia, he got this voicemail from dad. Uh, Robert, this is you, dad. I'm calling about 10 minutes or 12. I know y'all will be able to get here, but I was asking maybe if you could, um, you're going back to Chick-fil-A or somewhere, get me either a vanilla milkshake or a peach milkshake and I sneak it in kind of and I'd like to sip on it. That would be great. Your mom's doing good this morning. I think I've already spoken to her. And so um, we should be excited to see all of you. Take care. Bye-bye. On Saturday night, November the 2nd, I called my brother to see how the conversation went. I immediately knew that something was wrong. Rob was crying. I sat down and waited for my brother to collect himself. Then he told me what happened. No more than 10 minutes before that, my dad had suffered a massive heart attack, falling face down in the bathroom. Rob had just asked him about selling the house, and dad had gotten upset. After an uncomfortable silence, dad got up to go to the bathroom. That's when he collapsed. The paramedics had just taken dad to the hospital, but it didn't look good. I shouldn't have brought up the house, Rob said. It's not your fault, I replied. Maybe he'd still be here. You didn't do anything wrong, I said, struggling to hold back the tears. I pictured my dad getting up from the bed and walking unsteadily to the bathroom, his face bright red with anger or worry or defeat. Is that why his body finally gave out? What was he thinking in those final moments? It's not your fault, I said to Rob again. Then we both cried into the phone. My wife and I packed up and hurried down the mountain in the dark. Along the way, my brother called to tell me that Dad was dead. The car ride was quiet. I'm not sure how I felt in that moment. Empty, perhaps? I'm sure I was incredibly sad as well. But more than anything else, I was struck by my body's instinct to keep going. I just found out that my dad was dead, but in the midst of this news, I was steering a car, checking my rearview mirror, holding my wife's hand, turning the heat down, all the little things you do when you drive a car. About 30 minutes later, we stopped at a gas station. It was way past midnight, but the gas station was filled with people. The bright fluorescent lights were disorienting. Country music blared over the speakers. The aisles were overflowing with candy and trucker hats and cigarette lighters. My dad was dead, but the world kept on going. None of these people knew what had just happened to me, and no one cared. I got back in the car and turned on the ignition, feeling utterly alone. podcast was written and edited by me, Stuart Albright, with grateful assistance from Robert Albright, Molly Albright, and Jenny Albright. Technical support and resources were provided by the Jordan Innovation Lab. This podcast attempts to honor the complicated legacy of my parents, Nancy and Alan Albright. If you have questions or comments, feel free to contact me at stuartalbright at yahoo.com.